Welcome to the weekly podcast of Valley Church. I pray that this message will fill you with the hope of the gospel and will help you follow Jesus today. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, visit valleychurchwv.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. But I'm just glad that we're all here together, and I'm sure there are plenty of you watching online, so I want to say welcome, glad you're here with us. We are continuing our series called Dear Church, going through the book of 1 Corinthians. So I invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians if you have your Bible or your phone or the Pew Bible in front of you. It's found on page 895 in the Pew Bible. And as you um, turn there, I want to just um, remind us a little bit about this book of 1 Corinthians. As we study through this um, letter that Paul wrote, he wrote it to one of his church plants in Corinth. It's important to remind ourselves that this was written to a specific church in a specific time and culture, and Paul was addressing specific problems that this church was having. And last week we learned that if we could point to the root of the problems in the church at Corinth, it seems to be a problem of arrogance or pride. Now, pride is a very dangerous thing to allow in the church because it is all centered on self and pretty much viewing ourselves in the place of God. Yet if we're honest, all of us sitting here today, all of us watching online, we all struggle with the sin of pride. We need to remind ourselves that the church is all about Jesus Christ and giving him the glory, the honor, and the praise. So today we're going to pick it up in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and Paul is continuing his thoughts from the last section of chapter 1. Last Sunday we learned how Paul taught about the wisdom of weakness and how God uses the weak the foolish, the despised, the low of this world to shame the wise and the strong. But why does God do this? It's so that no person can boast or glory in themselves only in Jesus Christ. Now remember as we continue that this is a letter, so as we go on to chapter 2, really it's just like the next paragraph in this letter that Paul is writing. But before we go any further, I want to stop and pray and invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us this morning. So will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we are grateful to be gathered around the scriptures this morning. And we ask you, with humility, to come and teach us, to guide us in the way of truth. You are the one that exposes um, the scriptures and convicts us and encourages us, and we just ask for you to do what only you can do. Thank you for being in our midst 
for dwelling within us. And we give you all the praise, the honor, and glory. Father God, Jesus, and Holy Spirit, amen. All right, so pick it up with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And we're going to start at verse 1. We're going to take it in bite-sized pieces, so a few verses at a time. Paul continues, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So like I said, we're going to break this down into small chunks and talk about it so we can understand it more fully. Now Paul, he could have come to Corinth with much of his human knowledge and he could have used eloquent words of wisdom, but he knew that if he did, then everyone would look to him as being some really great preacher and exalt and glorify him. But Paul knew that his calling by God was simple. He was called to go and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ crucified and risen again. But we learned last week that this kind of wisdom, a crucified Messiah, would have been very unappealing to the people in Corinth. Because they were a culture that highly valued the wisdom of this world. You see, people in Corinth studied to be sophists, teachers of philosophy and rhetoric. And this culture took great pride and pleasure in philosophy. And they used rhetoric or the art of debate to persuade their audience. This type of worldly wisdom was leaking into the church in Corinth, and it was causing more pride to take root. When Paul says that he was with them in weakness, fear, and trembling in verse 3, he uses those words to describe the kind of ministry that embodies the cross of Christ. If the cross is the message, then ministering or preaching with integrity means that we as the messengers will look foolish, weak, and despised in the eyes of this world. Only to have the power of the Holy Spirit of God breakthrough to call listeners to salvation in Jesus. And that's the gospel story. Power in and out of weakness. It points to the God who brings new life by way of a crucified Messiah. 
You see, Paul wasn't looking to make a name for himself or have people's faith put in him. And that's really important because if someone can be persuaded into the kingdom of God by human wisdom, they can also be persuaded out of the kingdom by that same human wisdom. And that made me think this week as I was studying of so many people in our world today who are deconstructing their faith, walking away from their faith. And so it causes me to ask the question, were they persuaded into the kingdom by human worldly wisdom? Because if that is true, then they're being persuaded right back out of the kingdom by that same human wisdom. But Paul's desire and his desire for the Corinth church was for the Holy Spirit to work through his simple message and that their faith wouldn't rest in the wisdom of men and the wisdom of this world but in the power of God. That's really good news for each one of us here as followers of Jesus. Because that means you don't have to have a Bible degree or go to seminary or have a ministry title before your name. You don't have to know all the deep doctrinal theological truths of the Bible. All you have to know is Jesus Christ crucified and risen again for you. Some of the greatest preachers, teachers, evangelists were not men and women who had a seminary degree or a title before their name. They were just men and women who walked humbly and faithfully with God, willing to go wherever he led them. Does that describe you? What did Jesus do for you? You can share the message of hope that Jesus has brought to you. It's really that simple. Yet we are the ones that often try to make it more complicated than it needs to be. And often we feel the need to do that so that we can make ourselves look a little smarter or a little greater. But you can share the good news of Jesus Christ just as good as Pastor Jonathan, as any of the elders, as any of the serve team directors, or myself. We may never step foot in your workplace or in your school, but God has you there five days of the week for a reason. Who needs to know Jesus? You might use simple words, and you know what? Simple is best.
the Holy Spirit likes to work through those who share Jesus Christ crucified and risen again in easy to understand ways because then he can use his power to draw others to the Father. What we need to remember is that it's not about the messenger. It's not about us. It's about the message of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul was wanting the church in Corinth to remember. Paul continues on in his letter to talk about the wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit. Let's read the next few verses, starting at verse 6. Paul writes, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. So who is Paul talking about in verse 6 when he says the mature, yet among the mature? Well, the mature, Paul is saying here, are those people who have come to faith in Christ and they are occupied by the Holy Spirit of God and have a mind to follow Christ. This person is considered mature and ready to learn the more complicated truths of God's wisdom. Mature can also be defined as a progressive sanctification by the Holy Spirit or just believers who have teachable hearts and a greater understanding. So in other words, what I want you to know is that the word mature here does not have to do with age. Because I know many believers who are young in age but very mature as followers of Jesus. The wisdom Paul is talking about here was different than the wisdom the Corinthians were used to. The Corinthians loved to have their minds tickled with knowledge. But the message of the cross and Jesus Christ crucified needed to be understood first. Now, there is wisdom in this age, in the world, but it will all pass away. And it's easy to fall trap to the wisdom of this world in the age we live in. Just one example is how popular self-help books have become. They possess a lot of wisdom, but too often not the wisdom of eternity. Now, I'm not saying that all self-help books are bad, but too often we turn to them for wisdom that's only temporary instead of seeking for eternal wisdom in the scriptures, in the Bible. And we need to be careful that we don't let the wisdom of this world leak into the church and replace the wisdom of eternity. As followers of Jesus, we live for the hidden, secret wisdom that has been revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. Now, verse 7 is a verse that has been misused 
and misunderstood by many. This secret and hidden wisdom of God that Paul is talking about is not something new that followers of Jesus can get by going and spending time alone in solitude with the Lord. God has already revealed everything we need to know in Scripture, and there is nothing more or new that will be revealed outside of His Word. So the secret and hidden wisdom that Paul refers to in this verse is the wisdom of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And what is this good news? Well, we're given the answer actually in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. Paul reminds them towards the end of the letter, this good news is that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That is the secret and hidden wisdom. It was revealed in Jesus Christ. But the Holy Spirit has to open your eyes and your heart to receive Jesus. And that is humbling. That's the opposite of pride. It's recognizing you can't save yourself. You have to look to Jesus as your Savior. Pick it up with me in verse 8. Paul goes on to say, none of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So if we go back to the beginning of that portion, verse 8 God had revealed his secret and hidden wisdom, his way of bringing salvation to all people. And throughout the Old Testament, he gave hints and clues that pointed to Jesus, who would be a crucified and risen Messiah. But none of the rulers of this age understood it. Paul was telling the Corinthians in verse 8, To side with those who advocate for worldly wisdom is to side against the God who saves by means of a cross. In other words, worldly wisdom is what crucified the Lord of glory. Let me say that again. Worldly wisdom is what crucified the Lord of glory. In verse 9, Paul quotes Isaiah 64, verse 4, to support his claim that God's wisdom is hidden 
from normal human perception. Paul saw those verses as being fulfilled in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Verse 10 says that these things, this hidden and secret wisdom, God has revealed to us through the Holy Spirit. If you pick it up with me in verse 12, Paul said, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Now to understand this, every person who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation has been given the Holy Spirit. So we as followers of Jesus have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us to help us understand the things of God, specifically the scriptures. Now, have you ever wondered what the role of the Holy Spirit is in your life? Have you ever wondered that? Like, why do we have the Holy Spirit? What's the purpose of that? Well, I want to take you to John chapter 16. Jesus was with his disciples, and he was telling them that he was going to die and that he was going to leave them, but he was going to send the Holy Spirit to them. So if you look with me, John 16, Jesus said, starting in verse 7, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So in these verses, Jesus told his disciples, his followers, the Holy Spirit is coming after I leave and he's going to be your helper. Some versions say the Holy Spirit is known as the comforter. All right, so Jesus said, He's your helper. Secondly, Jesus said, He, the Holy Spirit, will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's a really good reminder for us because it tells us that our job is to preach Jesus crucified and risen 
It's the job of the Holy Spirit to convict. So we have to be careful that we aren't manipulating people or playing with their emotions using human worldly wisdom to try and pull people into the kingdom. No, our job is just to preach the message. It's the job of the Holy Spirit to convict. Thirdly, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will guide you into all the truth. When you read and study your Bible, ask the Holy Spirit to teach you. That's why this morning, before we went to the scriptures, I specifically prayed and asked the Holy Spirit to guide us, to teach us. He's our teacher. Number four, Jesus said, whatever the Spirit hears from the Father, he will speak and declare to you the things that are to come. And then I'm adding this one in because later on in Galatians chapter 5, Paul talks about how the Holy Spirit helps us to bear fruit in our lives. Okay, so let's remember together what are the fruits that the Holy Spirit helps us to bear? The fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are all fruits of the Holy Spirit in our life. And you may have grown up not knowing much about the Holy Spirit. Maybe you were even kind of creeped out by him because some versions call him the Holy Ghost. So as a child, you're like, I don't want the Holy Ghost living inside me. Okay, but the Holy Spirit is a gift to us as followers of Jesus. And it's important that we remember that he is alive and active in our lives. You may not have realized that it's the Holy Spirit convicting you of sin. Or it's the Holy Spirit who speaks that encouraging truth to you, brings to mind a Bible verse. Or it's him who's been with you when you have felt all alone. Or it's the Holy Spirit that has given you peace when you should have felt anything but peace, but it's the Holy Spirit living in you. I want to encourage you, if you're not sure that what you're hearing is from the Holy Spirit, the best place to go and check is back to the Scriptures. How many of you are thankful for the Holy Spirit in your life? Yes, we all should be. He's such a gift, and Jesus knew exactly who we would need when he left this earth. He said, it's better if I go, because I'm sending the Holy Spirit to be with you. So right now, I just want to pause quick and thank the Holy Spirit. Will you join me? Holy Spirit, we come before you with gratitude and thankfulness. We're so thankful that you are our helper, that you convict us of sin, 
that you help us to bear fruit in our lives. We're so thankful that you guide us in the way of truth. Holy Spirit, help us always to listen to your voice and leading. Thank you that you are always with us. Amen. Amen. Pick it up with me in verse 13. Paul said, We impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. What I want us all to remember and know is that we preach here at Valley Church not human or worldly wisdom, but the words of Scripture. Jesus Christ crucified and risen again. And every week we pray that the Holy Spirit would teach and interpret spiritual truths to followers of Jesus, but also that the Holy Spirit would reveal the secret and hidden wisdom of salvation to unbelievers and call them to Jesus. Continue on with me in verses 14 through 15. Paul says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. Now, if we look back at the beginning of verse 14, where Paul says the natural person, the ancient Greek word for natural person or natural man is suchikos, and it describes the materialist. The person who lives as if there were nothing else beyond this physical life. This person only lives for the here and now. But this is the life that is common to animals. The natural man doesn't accept the things of God because they look foolish to him according to this world. However, it is different for the spiritual person the follower of Jesus, because the spiritual person questions and examines and applies what the Holy Spirit reveals. And these verses say that the unbeliever cannot judge or understand the believer's spiritual nature. So let's, let's give a few examples of what this would look like. One example would be if a follower of Jesus was called to serve the Lord full-time in the church or go overseas as a missionary. That looks foolish to the unbelieving world because the wisdom of this world would say, why spend your life devoted to serving the Lord when you could get a good job? You could become wealthy. You could make a name for yourself. You see, people of this world won't understand when the Holy Spirit calls you to something like serving the Lord full time. They'll think that you're throwing your life away. 
But let's give a few more examples. Maybe the Holy Spirit is asking you to be a full-time, stay-at-home mom who disciples her children to know and follow Jesus. The wisdom of this world would ask, why don't you get a good job and have a career? Like, make a name for yourself. Maybe it's the dad who takes the pay cut at work so he can spend more time with his family and lead them in the way of Jesus. That looks foolish to this world when you could be working overtime and getting double or maybe even triple pay. Maybe you own a business and instead of seeing how you can Use the people who work for you to make you the quickest dollar you see and care about your employees and your clients. The world would tell you, cut those corners to make the quicker dollar. Who cares how it affects your employees and clients? They're just people that you can use to make more money quicker. But the Holy Spirit leads you to see and value people how Jesus would. You see, the spiritual person who follows the prompting and leading of the Holy Spirit will always look foolish in the eyes of this world. The question is, are you willing to look weak and foolish and despised and low in the eyes of this world so that Jesus Christ crucified and risen again can be known and received. Paul closes out this letter with these words in verse 16. Sorry, not the letter, the chapter, this portion. Verse 16, Paul says, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? but we have the mind of Christ. Paul was quoting again from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 13, telling us we can't instruct the Lord in any way, but because we have the Holy Spirit living in us, we do have the mind of Christ. So that made me think this week, what does it look like to have the mind of Christ? Do I live in a way that reflects the mind of Christ? And as I thought about that, those questions brought me to Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 11, where Paul writes what it means to have the mind of Christ. So in Philippians 2, 5 through 11, Paul wrote, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself 
by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and has bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So to have the mind of Christ is to live with the humility that Christ had. And as I read those verses, I thought, isn't that exactly what Paul was reminding the Corinthian church to have? Humility? To serve those around you? Remember, this life is not about you and I. It's not about the wisdom of this world. It's all about bringing glory to God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God doesn't use the people this world would use to spread his gospel. God uses weak Ordinary, flawed people to establish his kingdom. The evidence of God's glory is him choosing the unworthy. I want to leave you with one last verse from Micah 6, verse 8. Church, What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Will you pray with me? Father, I pray this week that we would remember to have the mind of Jesus Christ. That we would live as men and women who display the fruit of the Spirit as we walk humbly with you. Jesus, thank you for going to the cross and saving us by your perfect blood. And Holy Spirit, we thank you again for all you are and all that you do in our lives. Help us to listen to your voice and leading and to live in joyful obedience to what you call us to, even when we may look weak or foolish in the eyes of this world. Thank you for your promise to go with us and for helping us to be bold and sharing Jesus crucified and risen. Holy Spirit, will you demonstrate your power in our lives and in our speech so that others will be brought to salvation in Jesus Christ For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, we pray. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to this week's message from Valley Church. If you were impacted by today's teaching or made a decision to follow Jesus, we would love to hear from you, pray for you, and walk with you. To connect with us, visit valleychurchwv.com. There you will find resources on following Jesus and information about how to partner with us here at Valley Church as we seek, serve, and send disciples of Christ.